we also want to um, make sure that other people can use our data, use our intellectual property and build new insights off of that and maybe new solutions for these SDGs. Innovations in Sustainable Finance. A University of St. Gallen podcast by Julian Kölbel. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast, Innovations in Sustainable Finance. I'm Julian, your host. And today as a guest, we have Anton van Zanten. And uh, he's a real expert in SDGs and has a really exciting and interesting new data set on that front that I'd like to discuss with him. So Anton, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome very much. Thanks so much, Julian. Anton, you work at Robico, an asset management firm, but you're also an academic and, and somehow you got into SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Please tell us a little bit what you do and, and how you get there. Sure. And thanks so much for having me, Julian. Um, so indeed, I work at Rubico as Rubico's strategist for the Sustainable Development Goals. And in that role, I'm responsible for integrating these SDGs into our different investment strategies. Now, I've been working on the SDGs for a long time, actually long before I joined Rubico back in uh, 2020. And actually, I was working uh, at the United Nations in 2014 and 2015. So right at the time, the governments were negotiating about the SDGs and that they were actually adopting these goals. Now, I thought this was a really super exciting time because for the first time in human history, we were discussing about a sustainability agenda that would apply to all countries equally, regardless of how rich or poor they, they were. But now one thing that struck me at the time was that everybody was talking about the SDGs and saying that they would be unattainable if the private sector would not get involved. So people were saying that you know companies were needed to be achieving the SDGs. But nobody really knew exactly what companies were doing on the SDGs, what types of impacts they were generating, how they could better manage these impacts to create more positive progress over time. And I thought this was a fascinating research question also from an academic angle. So although I always worked in, in the private sector, uh, before joining Rubico, I used to work as a consultant. Um, I started writing these papers and doing research on the role of companies in achieving the SDGs. Now, that hobby that escalated a little bit, and I ended up writing a whole PhD dissertation on that. And I still do a lot of research uh, around companies, investors, and the sustainable development goals. So really, a long story short, how I got here, well, I really enjoy doing research and creating academic work based on my practical insights. But at the same time, I believe that you know sustainable investing strategies should build on academic knowledge. And so I like to work on really feeding academic insights back into my practical work as well. I, I really love how your hobby escalated into a PhD. Uh, so congratulations <laughs> on that. And um, I, I also noticed that at the time, the business community got really excited around the sustainable development goals and people have been walking around with these pins with the beautiful colors. Uh, and, and, and certainly there's a lot of talk in uh, that there is a, a need for you know businesses globally to contribute to to the achievement of these very important goals mm -hmm. so i appreciate that you got into the sort of into you know into the details of figuring out what exactly does that mean can we measure that so these are things i'm very interested in as well and today i want to talk with you about a novel data product that you've been developing and it's called the SDG scores. And 
I'll let you describe in a minute what, what this is basically about, but I want to flag that there are two ideas that I find particularly interesting in, uh, in that. And the first one is that this is an assessment that really focuses only on companies' environmental and social impact and not on any financial considerations with that. So, so it's really about the goals in that sense. And the second one is that you have plans to make this an open access data set, which is also a really interesting decision. So I'd like to talk about that as well. But before we drill into these two points, um, please give us your elevator pitch of, of what these SDG scores are. Of course, Julian. So I think if we talk about sustainable investing, what we want is we want to invest in companies that provide positive social or environmental contributions. But of course, then we have to question what types of social or environmental contributions are we, are we really talking about? And I think the SDGs here provide a good blueprint of the objectives that sustainable investors should be pursuing. So I think the big question we need to answer is how do the companies that we as an investor might invest in what types of impacts do they have on the SDGs? Now, to answer this question, we developed our SDG framework at Rubico already since 2018. And what we do is we analyze companies' impacts on the SDGs in three different steps. Now, in the first step of the framework, we ask, what is the impact of products and services on the SDGs? So here we have a rules-based approach that determines which SDGs are impacted by products and services and to what extent that impact is then more or less positive, depending on the magnitude of impacts that companies have. Then we move to the second step of the framework, and there we look at companies' operations. Of course, the way a company behaves, uh, think about its environmental management policies, its gender equality performance, or its corporate governance, can all have an impact on the SDGs. And that's what we're capturing in the second step of the framework. And then in the third step, we look at controversies. Of course, a company involved in significant controversies on the SDGs, so creating negative impact through scandals like corruption, uh, environmental management disasters, and so forth. That's, of course, clearly conflicting with the SDGs, and we want to make sure that companies involved in such controversies uh, get a negative score as well. So this whole assessment then leads to an SDG score for companies, and we score companies from minus three, so highly negative impacts on the SDGs, all the way to plus three, very positive impact. We do that for all the companies in our investment universe, and that allows us then to invest in companies that have a positive impact on the SDGs and avoid those that have a negative impact. Thank you. So, so it's a three-tiered approach looking at products and services, operational performance, and, and controversies. Um, exactly. So, I mean, of course, it's... It's a challenge conceptually to to measure contribution to to SDGs, and let's look into that. But I, I think it's great that you that you've developed an approach to you know to at least you know get an get an assessment of that, and maybe to make that concrete, you could give examples of companies with a really high and really low score, or or and and I think I'm particularly interested in how you deal with with products. Uh, the, the first step of the assessment. So if you could give us some examples there, what are products that are really sort of positive or negative for certain SDGs? Yeah, and of course, and, and I think the product angle is, is just so important also in our framework because our aim is to capture the significant impacts that companies have. And I think products and services are the core business of what companies are really doing. So I think they are also, I think the key dimension that we need to be looking at. 
Um, so to give you some examples of companies that score really well, that get you know very high SDG scores in our framework, are for instance companies providing uh, solutions for treating wastewater, uh, renewable energy solution, or companies providing insulation materials, or even healthcare solutions. So those will be examples of companies, if they provide those types of products or services, they will get very high SDG scores, especially if they have more revenues linked to those types of solutions. Um, I can also give you a couple of examples on the negative side. Um, there we also, you know, we identify companies, for instance, that have adverse impacts on the environment. Uh, think like thermal coal mining companies, producers of meat products like beef, lamb or mutton, airlines, cruise lines and so forth. But we also have companies that have negative social impacts. Um, think companies providing products that are addictive, so tobacco or alcohol weapons uh, or com companies involved in, in human rights abuses. So we have a very wide spectrum of, of, of impacts linked to the SDGs. So in a way that actually reminds me of the, of the EU taxonomy, where somehow certain product categories or economic activities, as they call it, are categorized as better or worse for the environment. Is, is, is that somehow a similar approach, would you say? Um, I think it's a, it's a very similar approach. Um, the EU taxonomy, of course, currently focuses on six environmental pillars, and they defined uh, technical screening criteria for two of those pillars currently. So they look at climate change mitigation and adaptation. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's much more focused in scope, and the regulator, so the EU is doing it in a much more detailed manner. I think they wrote a guidebook of about a thousand pages. Um, so we are a bit more pragmatic about it, but I think the, the approach is the same, but we have currently a much broader scope. So on the face of it, the, the three aspects that you mentioned, products and services, uh, operational performance and, and controversies sound relatively similar to what, what a number of other ESG rating agencies would do, right? These are sort of the, the classic ingredients, uh, more or less, I would say. And yet, when you compare these scores with other prominent ESG ratings, you, you find some substantial differences. And, and you've written a paper on that that is online that I find quite interesting. And I'll uh, link it on the, in the notes to the, to the actual source of the paper. Um, so, but what do you find when you do this comparison and where does it come from? Yeah, so it's quite surprising on the one hand. So we test if there is any correlation between our SDG score and the ESG ratings of uh, different providers. And we find that there is no correlation whatsoever. And in fact, when we look deeper, we find that about 30% of the top ESG rated companies actually have very negative uh, SDG scores. So we find some tobacco companies, for instance, or alcohol companies, even energy companies producing energy with uh, thermal coal. And this led to then an interesting question. So how do we know if, you know, we currently have a lot of sustainable investing ratings in the market, but how do we know if one of those ratings is looking more at the impacts that companies have on societies and the environment, or whether they look more uh, from a risk dimension at sustainability, a financial dimension at sustainability? So in our paper that, uh, that we recently published, uh, it's a working paper, so if any of the any of the people in the audience have any feedback on that, they will be welcome. But here we try to develop tests that can help us identify if a sustainability rating is actually in line with what investors, regulators, and climate scientists find to be sustainable. 
Um, I can give you an example of that. So yes. for instance, when we look at investors, we know when we can gauge from, from their behavior, what types of uh, companies they find very unsustainable, for instance, by looking at which companies they put on exclusion lists. And we can also look at their preferences to see which companies they do find sustainable. For instance, by looking at sustainable thematic funds to see which companies are in there, because that's, of course, a proxy of, of companies that an investor would view as, as sustainable. And we then want to know, does our SDG score, um, does it capture companies that are being put on exclusion list of asset owners? Um, and what we find there is that indeed companies on exclusion list, for instance, because they provide controversial weapons, tobacco, uh, thermal coal activities, they tend to get very negative STG scores. And we also look on the positive side. We look at these sustainable thematic holdings, uh, focusing on, you know, we looked at funds look providing or investing in solutions for renewable energy, uh, healthcare, and sustainable water. And there we also find that a lot of these holdings actually have very positive SDG scores. Now we compare that to ESG ratings, and there we find that an ESG rating of companies in on exclusion list does not differ uh, from the benchmark. So they don't tend to get very negative or poor ESG ratings. And the same goes for those sustainable thematic holdings. So there again, ESG ratings of companies that investors find uh, very sustainable, they tend to be pretty, well, average as well. They don't differ significantly from, from the broader benchmark. So I think with that, we have a test that, that can show if these scores are really measuring sustainability outcomes. And in this paper, we also try to sort of disentangle this confusion about what ESD ratings are measuring by saying, well, some of these ratings like our SDG score are focused on impact and other ratings, they have a different philosophy. They want to measure if a company is having financial risk from ESG factors. So I think that those are two different philosophies and we want to um, not say that an ESG rating, for instance, is a bad rating, but it just has a different purpose from uh, trying to identify which companies should be invested in for sustainability reasons. So I think this links to a, a huge debate that's going on around materiality, financial materiality, impact materiality, and then double materiality, which would be the, sort of the, the intersection of the two. And um, it seems that the scores that, that you've developed here are clearly positioned towards impact materiality. And that would be in the sense of what is material or in a sense, important information with respect to the impact that these companies have on the environment and society, both positive and negative. Would, would that be correct? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and why did you choose to take that particular perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. So we started developing this framework basically because we wanted to create investment solutions in line with the ambitions of the SDGs, and there was no data for us uh, to do that. So we just started to think about this ourselves, and we thought that you know if we think about the SDGs, the only thing that's relevant for such a rating is the impact materiality side. And and some people indeed ask me like, why don't you also integrate a, a risk? materiality or financial materiality dimension into that same score now i think that's um we we thought about that of course but we we didn't want to do that and it's basically because and and maybe also speaking in the words of your famous aggregate confusion paper i think if we add this risk dimension onto an impact type of metric then we just add a lot of confusion about what it is that these ratings are supposed to measure so i think 
if we apply this then to our investment practice, I think what we like to do is that we want to first know for, for instance, our SDG-aligned investment strategies, we first want to know which companies in the universe do we want to invest in based on their impacts on the SDGs. So we look at all companies in our investment universe and we only select those with, for instance, only the positive contributors to the SDGs or maybe also those companies with a neutral SDG score so that we exclude companies with negative impact. And from that remaining universe that we have, companies that we believe are in line with the SDGs, then we apply our financial analysis. And of course, their ESG can be um, or is an integral part of the investment process because as an investor, you do want to avoid uh, financially uh, material ES or G risks. So I think it's a complementary two-step process. First, you want to know what impacts companies have. You have, for instance, an SDG score for that. And only later, in the, when you actually start investing in companies, then you want to know what are the sustainability risks that a particular investment might have. Yes, I, I can see that. And it, it probably, and, and I think we should get to that, it, it aligns well with how many uh, people on the street would understand uh, such an investment approach. But but before we do that, one thing I want to clarify, it, it seems that what you're measuring then, and you made these examples, for instance, you know, addictive products are are, are negative and, and uh, technical solutions to uh, wastewater, for instance, are positive. It seems that the industry is a strong driver of, of how these scores come out because they're simply industries where the, the products are, you know, widely and generally considered helpful and, and, and the other case as well, of course. So, so is there a strong industry effect in, in these ratings? Yeah, it's a very strong industry effect. So we do believe that the industry is an important proxy for the ultimate impacts that companies have on the SDGs. Um, but within our framework, we do differentiate within some industries. So I think when we, you know, when we look at some industries, like for instance, weapons or tobacco or uh, fossil fuels, I think there you would find that the vast majority of companies will ultimately get a negative score. But for some other industries, think about the food sector, for instance, there we do want to differentiate a bit in that sector because what we do have in our framework is we have these key performance indicators with thresholds that specify how positive or negative a company's impacts are uh, on the SDGs. So for a food company, we have a KPI, for instance, that's measuring what is the proportion of revenues that this company that we're analyzing is generating from healthy food? Well, if that's passing particular thresholds, then the company can get to more positive SDG scores. And if the company is providing unhealthy food, then it will get a negative SDG score on related SDGs. So what you then get within different sectors, you still do have companies providing solutions and still also companies that have negative impacts. Uh, but overall, there there is a big sector effect indeed. Yes, and I, I think that is partly the, the, the reason. So, so a best in class, uh, meaning uh, you know which is the best company within industry, and comparing companies only within industries, is is very convenient later from a portfolio management perspective because you you don't need to deviate mm -hmm. from the sector weights that the that the common stock indices have. So, of course, with with your approach that uh, that has a strong implication for for your sector weighting later on in the investment process. But I think that's good because, and you emphasize that, it is clear what is being measured here. 
uh, it is every company's contribution or or negative impact to the SDGs. And and it seems to me, and I think you talk about this in your paper as well, that this is how many people, that's what many people expect of, of a rating that pertains to company sustainability. I, I think a good question here is also to people, like if you have a, a best-in-class approach, would you want to invest as a sustainable investor in the best tobacco company or the best controversial weapons producer? Uh, and of course, those are a bit outrageous examples, but those are the questions that, you know, from a portfolio management perspective, you could then end up with. Uh, and that's, of course, a bit tricky to uh, to be yeah. answering. Well, so I thought I don't find them too outrageous. And I, you know, I would be happy to entertain this this thought, maybe invest in the best tobacco company. But that's my personal view, right? I would say, well, there seems to be a strong demand for tobacco, and that's certainly to some extent, driven by addiction, and and that's bad, and it causes uh, lung cancer. We know that this is scientifically established. But then there are probably things that you know tobacco companies can do better or worse, and that might be something like uh, advertising to to youngsters. And uh, I would like to give tobacco companies an incentive to do you know being a tobacco company to do things right that they can do right. On the other hand, I think many people indeed, as you say, if they say, oh, I want a sustainable portfolio, and then they are extremely surprised if they see you know, a tobacco company as, as one of the top holdings. So, so I think it is consistent with how many people approach sustainable investing. And, and I fully agree with you. Like We would like tobacco companies to move into that direction as well. But I think for making an overall judgment on the company's impacts on the SDGs, I think, well, at least in our framework, we would conclude that of course, we want tobacco companies to move into the right direction, and same goes for a lot of other uh, companies with negative impact. But we also need to make a total sort of conclusion on the score because we want to use these scores in practice and invest in it. And then we say, well, overall, you quite simply have negative impacts on healthcare. There are sub-targets on, under SDG number three that are saying that we need to uh, reduce the number of deaths from addictive products. And so then we say, well, that's a clear negative link. And then the total score would also be negative for that tobacco company. So it's not to say that that we don't want them to move into the right direction. We do. Um, but our score is simply a, a snapshot of a company's impact at the current time. Now, an- another thing that I sometimes get a little skeptical when I see these SDGs and, you know, the, the, the design is beautifully done and there are these colors and pictograms and, and now you see a lot of funds that sort of say, oh, we, you know, from the 17, these five, we, we, we contribute to in a sort of, you know, and, and then they put these pictograms there uh, and it looks like, it looks almost like a label already. Um, so, and, and I always think, well, you know, is there a case where you, uh, well, you make a contribution to maybe SDG um, 6, which is about clean water and sanitation, right? But there are other SDGs where you actually have, have negative impacts. And, and how do you then, uh, how do you combine that? Uh, is it possible sort of to compensate poor performance in one category with good performance in another? Yeah, and I do share your concern here as well that, that you know, the SDGs can be uh, used to greenwash, I think, uh, a lot of corporate activities. Um, yeah, on the on this issue, so how, what do you do if a company has positive and negative impacts on the SDGs? Do you average that or, or how do you deal with that? Well, the logic that we created is 
that we say, well, our framework's ambition is to capture significant impacts that companies have on the SDGs. And if a company has a negative impact on any of the 17 SDGs, then no matter how many SDGs it's also positively impacting, we will always take the lowest, the most negative score to become that company's final SDG score. Um, we have a company that we were looking at uh, a few weeks ago. It was a company producing solar panels. So, of course, that's great from a product uh, angle relating to SDG 7 on affordable and clean energy. Helps mitigate climate change so we can label or link it to SDG number 13. But then we found out that the company was making these solar panels using forced labor. So, of course, that's a conflict with SDG number 8 on decent jobs and economic growth. And there we gave the negative score. And then we always say that this company's total impact will also be um, that negative score that it has received for using forced labor, because we feel that in this case, uh, you know, labor rights violations or forced labor cannot be offset by producing clean gigawatts of energy. Because if we would create an average score, then it will basically be like telling this company like, hey, you can violate more labor rights as long as you uh, put out more solar panels and more clean gigawatts of energy. So we want to avoid these trade-offs and we quite simply say, well, if you have negative impact on an SDG, you will also get a total negative SDG score. And that's the score that we are then using in our investment strategies as well. Yeah, I, I really like that uh, that way of going about it because I also believe making an explicit trade-off between forced labor and the number of solar panels put out is is morally reprehensive you know of course you you know you might argue that there is a point uh, you know close to infinite number of solar panels that you know you might want to make an exception but in principle i think many people would agree that th this is very strange to to make such a trade off so so i like the approach and it it reminds me of when you study for a degree sometimes there's a rule that you know you have to pass each core subject with a passing grade and only after that the grade point average is calculated and i think that's a similar approach to to what you do isn't that right i like that analogy yeah. a lot I right? heard it well, before. because you want, you know, a student in a certain subject, they need to master all the core subjects and you cannot sort of compensate one yeah, with the course. other. That makes sense in that context. And I think it makes sense in, in looking at the sustainability of companies as well. So perhaps um, a bit more a, a critical question. I think some people would argue that that firms do not really contribute to SDGs anyway. So uh, you can have that view that that firms, they pursue profitable projects in whichever industry they are in. And um, and, and that really kind of determines uh, whether they contribute to a certain SDG or not. And, and, and also the regulations they are subject to, but, but that sort of, there's a concern that we're barking up the wrong tree when we ask whether firms contribute to the SDG. And I think this links right back to the you know, initial motivation of your hobby that escalated. So what do you think about that? Well, I think it's, um, it, it's a bit of a pessimistic view. I think you know, quite generally, companies simply have an impact on the SDGs uh, that can be positive or negative. Um, and I think we all need to understand these impacts a lot better uh, in order for maybe academics to do research on this, maybe for governments to put out better legislation on sustainability impacts, for companies to improve those impacts themselves, and for NGOs to sort of hold companies more accountable for their impacts. So I think understanding these impacts, first of all, is just 
really important if we want to create this uh, well more sustainable future that we're, that we're then talking about. I also, of course, would see corporate action alone as being insufficient for attaining the S- these SDGs. I think all sectors in society, so governments, private sector, and civil society need to step up and, and need to work together on, on achieving these SDGs. Now, I think that's also what we learn if we're reading the for instance the sustainability science literature if we ask what is actually going to bring about positive change i think it's one of the findings there is is that we just all need to work together and we need a lot of different interventions and and positive impacts to happen simultaneously so i think corporate action in itself is not enough but i think it it, it is very important for when we're talking about the sdgs and we do want that to be profitable i think so companies that can provide solutions for the sdgs like the companies that we've been talking about renewable energy healthcare water and sanitation and companies can bring those positive products and, and solutions to people and and the environment at the at a really large scale. So I think that that's what makes companies just an important actor in this bigger scheme of things. Yes. Yeah, I I, I agree that there are certainly questions to be asked, but, but that I also think it's dangerous to sort of um, trade these different actors off against each other and say, no, this one cannot do it. It has to be the other. It has to be the government, for example, only the government. So I like your answer in that sense. Um, but but to, to drill down on, on one aspect, so have you explored or, or thought about which kind of incentives your rating as it stands creates for, for companies? So sort of to put it concretely, what could firms do to improve mm-hmm. in your score? This is something that we're actually working on a lot. So we give these scores, then we invest in companies, um, but we don't stop at investing. So once we invested in a company, we become... An owner, uh, especially if we invest in equity, and that gives us a voice to vote at shareholder meetings. We can engage with the company, and there we're increasing, increasingly using our SDG framework to inform our engagement dialogues with the company. So we actually have one investment strategy that's investing in companies with a minus one, a neutral, and a plus one SDG score. So those are companies that are not fantastic for the SDGs, but also not really that harmful. And then we look at our SDG frameworks. And, and the key performance indicators that we have in there. And we go back to the companies that we invest in and we say, hey, your SDG score currently is X. And if you want to improve and we want to help you with that, uh, you can take these and these uh, different actions. So then we look at the key performance indicators in our framework to ask companies to take more action. So maybe to stick with the uh, example of food companies that we could be engaging with the company producing food. And we say, well, one of the things we would like you to do is to um, develop more nutritious food products and sell those. And if you up your revenues, they're currently here, but if you up them, you will go to a more positive score. So we're increasingly using these scores to, to indeed nudge companies to become more sustainable as well and to give them incentives. And, and we really enjoy having these conversations with our investee companies as well. Do the companies enjoy them as well? I think so. That's uh, Usually it's, it's, uh, it's a good collaboration because, you know, companies, I think, also consist of people like you and I. They, they also want to do good and they are um, supportive of, of getting constructive feedback from an investor like us so we're not going to be telling them like hey you're all horrible but we still hold your stock Uh, but we tell them like hey we like your company we're invested in you Um, 
but we might think that you could do better on some sustainability issues. And then we go into that dialogue uh, and have good conversations around that. Yeah, that based on on uh, ongoing research that I'm doing, where we've interviewed companies, uh, how they think about these ESG requests they get from investors. Um, one of our findings is that that companies are really quick to dismiss requests that they think are sort of superficial and and you know compliance driven or sort of questionnaire driven yeah. but they they really appreciate uh feedback that signals you know um expertise and 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 goes more in the direction of a partnership and 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 uh an informed discussion um so so i can very well imagine that that sort of thing to happen um and and i like also the example of revenues from food right so this is pretty concrete and the company could either increase revenue from from foods that are healthy or uh try to improve some of the foods that aren't uh, but that you know yield a lot of revenue and and that that sounds like pretty concrete actions yeah and in your research are fascinating so i'm really curious to learn more um and basically, maybe one thing to add, so we don't only ask for you know more revenues from a particular type of food category or more nutritious food, but we could also ask um, a company, a food company, to put out Nutri-Score labels on their products so that they can communicate better to uh, prospective clients if the food is actually healthy or not. Um, so, so an engagement program, we usually focus then on different types of really actionable not compliance driven, but more impact driven uh, sort of requests that can uh, help support these SDGs. I want to move on to to our other topic, which is which is open source. Uh, so all this work uh, that's behind those scores, and I'm I'm sure it's a lot. You know that that was a large investment on your behalf, and and now you have a a plan. I think at this point to to make this an open source data set that virtually anyone can use. First, tell us why did Robico decide to go down that route? Yeah, of course. So we've been using these scores in our own investment uh, solutions since 2018. So we have different equity and fixed income funds using these scores. Uh, but I think of or when we thought about publishing these scores, we, we actually had three reasons for that. So that's a journey that we're now on and we want to uh, uh, publish our scores to the wider market. We're actually already doing that. Um, and we do that for three reasons. So I think one of them is that we want to contribute to setting a standard. So we see a whole flurry of sustainability ratings out there in the market. And now we come up with another, but it's behind closed doors. So we want to um, if we're thinking about impact-aligned metrics, so impact materiality, we want to uh, help set a standard in that. The second one is is getting feedback. So if we open our scores to uh, clients, to academics, to other stakeholders, then they might look at our scores and then give us uh, good feedback on how we can improve our methodology. And then the third reason is, well, very simply to act in line with the spirit of the SDGs and share data that we believe is useful. If because it, it might be that other people can also find good use in, in, in that data. One of the big challenges that I had, for instance, when I was doing my, uh, my PhD was that there wasn't a lot of data out there that I could access. So we also want to um, make sure that other people can, can use our data, use our intellectual property and build new insights off of that and maybe new solutions for these SDGs. Yes, I mean, especially on the last point, I, I can totally relate. It, it happens very often that 
students want to want to do a study and, and many students are interested in uh, in sustainability and ESG related topics and then it's great if there is a data set that that people can use regardless of the budget that their library has for 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 data packages I personally particularly like the last reason but but I appreciate them all um, so can you maybe describe how how can people get access how how will this work yeah of course so Currently, we're taking a phased approach. Uh, so we wanted to get to start small. Uh, Robico is not a data provider. Uh, we're an asset management company, but we do happen to have our own data. Um, so we wanted to manage the risk uh, that, that such a project would entail. So in uh, last August, we started to publish our scores, and we started to do that by uh, sharing these SDT scores with our existing clients and with academics. So to date, we onboarded, well, next to all of our clients, we onboarded about 60 academics within our networks. And over time, we want to go to a more open uh, sort of open access space. Um, what that means is that over time, we're going to move to a website. People can log in and uh, create an account. For now, if, if anybody wants to access these scores, especially academics or uh, other clients, uh, they can reach out to us, reach out to me or to my colleagues, and we can onboard you to the platform that we have created for sharing these scores. Yeah. So is, is there a timeline to make it completely open or is it, you know, you're still on a journey, as you say? The, the timelines are under discussion. Uh, we're moving quite fast with this, but I can't give, unfortunately, a date for when we have the website ready. Uh, it requires a lot of IT investments, actually, to, to set up this infrastructure and to make sure that we publish the right data to the right people and yes. so forth. But sort of the decision is taken. It's just a, an implementation yeah. at, at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and again, if anybody wants to access these scores, you can simply reach out to us and, and we'll be more than happy to onboard you to the platform. Super. No, I think that that is, um, I mean, it's a bold move, I think. And, um, you know, I, I see also a strategic calculation behind it, which, which is valid, but I, I think on the whole, it will really uh, do a lot of good to this space. Um, and, and, and it's pretty powerful and op an open source data set can be pretty powerful precisely for this reason also that you mentioned that everybody can criticize it, right? Everybody can look at it. Everybody can wonder why this score like that. And, and, and does that make sense? And, and you will hopefully learn from that and, uh, you know, and everybody using it will, will benefit from it on, on that front. I'm curious, is it just the scores or also the, the whole methodology behind it? Sort of how the scores are calculated that will be, uh, transparent. Yeah. Um, good question. And one that we discussed a lot. So currently what we publish is, uh, for about 12,000 companies, we publish a total SDG score and 17 sub SDG scores. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we publish, uh, a brochure explaining our STG framework. Now we don't publish the entire framework in all its detail yet. That's something that we might consider doing in the future. Uh, but for now we decided that that is a key part of our intellectual property and that we open up parts of the framework, but not everything yet. Okay. But, but that's something you could, uh, you know, it's, it's, could be the case in the future. I mean, that would, of course, I understand there are limits to this, but but that would, of course, uh, yeah. you know, complete the philosophical uh, mission that you're on. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that also enables us to get better feedback, of yes. course. So if people know all of our rules, then they can criticize those rules, um, come up with concrete suggestions. So that is something that, that's under discussion and that will be part of this whole trajectory that we're yes. on. 
And so the underlying data, and I think this is where we're going, where, where does it come from? Can you explain that a little bit? Do you collect most of it yourself or how is it sourced then? Yeah, so for about 1,500 companies in our universe, we create all of these scores through fundamental analysis. So what that means is that Rubico's uh, equity and credits and sustainability analysts, they dig up all the data that is needed to conduct the SDG analysis in line with our framework. So that's often data that's being collected from corporate reporting. So think about annual reports or sustainability reports. And also data, of course, fed from uh, from different data providers. Then the rest of the universe, so the remaining, what is it, 11,000 companies or so, um, we analyze those companies using automated processes. So we collect data from all kinds of data providers. Um, we feed in data from the World Bank, from, from the UN. We conduct natural language programming, so NLP techniques to screen for keywords in companies' business descriptions, in uh, companies' reporting. And that together allows us to also screen companies on on the or using the SDG framework. And that's how we create scores for the rest of the universe. I see. So there's kind of two tiers, one where which, which is very involved and where you probably have, um, mm-hmm. I, I would guess, greater confidence in, in, in accuracy and, and one that is more, you yeah. know, uh, geared towards scale. Uh, which is great, of course. It's nice to have scale, and you, you need coverage. But but uh, perhaps there's uh, more more feedback, perhaps in the future for you from from the people looking at this course. Absolutely, and and what you're saying is absolutely right. So when we create these more automated SDG scores, we always calculate if the computer agrees with what our humans are saying. So for those 1,500 companies created by our analysts, we also create more automated mm-hmm. scores and we find that there is actually very high correlation but the automated approach is a bit more strict a bit more likely to assign a negative score than uh what the analysts are doing and the reason is that in our stg framework we have more than 200 of these kpis not all of them can be automated and there we take a bit more strict approach saying that if we don't have evidence that the company is doing something very good then we also won't assign a very good score to that. So, but we do test that. Of yeah, course. yeah, I think so. So that will be an important point for for any future studies based on your scores that you might want to differentiate between the the human intelligence grade score and then uh, the 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 more the machine based scores. Yeah. And it's interesting that you um, you know are careful not to be overly optimistic with with those machine based. Scores very interesting. Now I think, um, you know, I think we should come to a close. It's it's been a good long conversation. Um, I really think your initiative puts into practice not not just one but but two bold ideas. First, explicitly focusing on impact materiality. I think that is something that um, is very clear, um, and and it's something that is needed in the space of ESG ratings, and that you plan to make this available open source, I think is hugely exciting. I think this is pretty exciting. Do you also think that you're part of something big and exciting? Yeah, I think it's super exciting. So I see also among our clients, there's this huge interest in sustainability. What are the best sustainable investment solutions? Of course, we want to avoid ESG risks, but how can we really target towards positive impacts on the SDGs? So I think it's it's a really exciting journey and I'm really 
curious to see what's going to be happening in the next couple of years. Fantastic. Yeah, well, on that note, what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of years? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good question. So I think on the one hand, I think active ownership is just going to be much more important for investors because you know we can invest in companies with positive impact, and that's probably very useful and very necessary as a sustainable investor. But we also want to create a difference ourselves, and active ownership, I think, is very important for that. And then the second thing that I think is going to be happening is is a lot of metrics currently, they focus on existing impacts that companies have. So they're basically a snapshot of what a company currently is doing. But I think the holy grail is to get more forward-looking metrics. So to see which companies are making a credible transition towards becoming more sustainable in the future. Because those are, of course, actually the companies that you also do want to support in your sustainable investing strategies. So that's something that we're also working on. And I think that's um, that, that's going to be an exciting development as well. Yes, I, I absolutely agree with that point about forward-looking assessments. And I think, I think that closes a very nice link between um, what ESG ratings currently do and uh, what they might do in the future. And, 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 and the comparison is maybe if you look at credit ratings, right? Credit ratings, they are about the future. They are sort of, they give you an indication of how likely is a default in the future. And the great advantage of that is that you can wait for a bit and then, you know, make a test which ratings have been correct in, in predicting that future. And if we could get into a similar um, framework with ESG ratings, that sort of analysts will say, well, I think this company really is going to do well with regards to SDG 13 in over the next three years because they have this and that strategy and I've looked at them. I think that would be a much more interesting statement than uh, than exactly, as you say, what has happened in the past. So in the future, we'll look more into the future. How about that? Sounds absolutely delightful. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Anton, thank you so much for this great conversation. And I wish you all the best uh, on your on your journey as, as an SDG expert and investor in the space. It's It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for, the, for having me, Julian. Really a all pleasure. Right. Take care. Thanks. Innovations in Sustainable Finance. A University of St. Gallen podcast by Julian Kölbel.